0: Rachel Berenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars, and today I'm here with a dear, dear friend of mine, Miriam Udall, who's just out with this amazing new book called Honey on the Page. I absolutely loved it. I blurbed it. Miriam, tell me, what is your book about?
1: Sure. So this is a collection of almost 50 primary sources of Yiddish children's literature, short stories and poems, and it's about everything. in the world from taking a ride on a lion's back to uh, mailing your kid instead of the letter that you meant to pop into the mailbox.
0: The things that the book starts off with in the very first sentence in the foreword even is saying, you know, children's literature was never really taken seriously as an area of study before the 50s. And I might argue people still aren't taking it as seriously as, you know, fiction, meaning adult literature. Can you talk about that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So this was a challenging book to create. I selected the stories, I translated them, but it was an even harder book to sell because nobody was buying the concept for a while. Um, I tried adult publishers, trade publishers, I, I tried children's publishers. And then finally, it was an editor at New York University Press who happened to visit the campus at Emory University where I teach um, who took a one-on-one meeting with me and I pitched my heart out and he went for it. He saw the vision of a book that would be for families and also for scholarly readers
0: and for educators and librarians. But I also want to take issue with classifying all these stories as children's stories because as an adult I also love them. I mean it's not really a clear line between children's and adult literature I think. What
1: do you think? I agree. So there's also a great deal of scholarship of children's literature that that went into the volume and that I'm working on as part of the companion volume that will follow. And um, one of the things that I've learned in studying children's literature worldwide in, in global perspective is that um, The age stratification of readerships into adults and children is really a very recent and kind of historically contingent phenomenon. Most of the world for most of history has been telling stories for everybody and children heard them in whatever the storytelling context was in their culture. Um, So this is really more of a a kind of marketing artifact than it is anything essential about the, the stories and the way that they're told.
0: I love that you touched on the research that went into this book, because one of the things that I really loved were your uh, descriptions and your biographies of the writers themselves and the time period from which they came and from which they wrote. Can you talk about how you researched all that? How did you do all of that?
1: Sure. So where I could, I relied very heavily on existing resources. There is an eight-volume lexicon of Yiddish authors, um, which I was not shy about consulting and paraphrasing from and cribbing from, but there were a few authors, particularly women, who were not included in the eight-volume lexicon, and I had to get really creative. Some of these women produced very literary sons who wrote memoirs that included chapters about their mothers, so I read those. In one case, I got some help from a really heroic, indefatigable Judaica librarian at the New York Public Library who managed over the course of a single day to conjure the basic outline of the life of Malka Shechet, who moved from Poland to Cuba and then to the United States, and whose Life really isn't recorded anywhere, but, but now
0: it is. That's amazing. And I also love, I feel like you're reading my mind for these questions because <laughs> the next thing I wanted to ask you about was the women because growing up, I would always hear stories you know, from this rabbi or that rabbi and they always came from men. And then it turned out actually, at least one of them was from a woman that you know I grew up hearing as attributed to a rabbi. So how did you dig up the women behind this book or in this book?
1: So one of the goals that was really important to me in creating the table of contents was to come as close as I would be able to, um, to gender parity as one of several forms of diversity and range But I couldn't achieve total parity. I think I have um, eight of 27 contributors are women. But I tried to really um, amplify those voices by using longer pieces where it was suitable. So one of the very few novellas that I translate and include in full in the book is by Tsina Rabinovich, um, who is one of the gems that I unearthed in the course of working on this project. So just being really mindful about finding those women, finding the stories that they had to tell, and um, also having the consciousness that came of attending rabbinical school myself during a low residency, long distance program during the years that I was working on this book and becoming a rabbi. Um, and that's you know part of, part of what shaped the, the feminist consciousness of this work.
0: I have to tell you, I just loved it. I was so excited. I was, you know, like dragged my kids in. I was like, look, they're women (laughs) that she cited. Stories written by women. Because of course, I always knew women were writing these stories, right? They weren't lost, but no one ever attributed any of the stories that I had known to women. So thank you. Thank you for doing that work. Um, You are a learned scholar, a brilliant, brilliant academic, and you translated all of these stories. Does anybody check your work?
1: There are two stories in the book that have recently been published elsewhere um, by other translators, so I assume that there will be you know an entire phalanx of Yiddishists who are you know cross referencing both of those translations and checking. Um, I think that in general, so much of the work of translation gets kind of checked not by holding up the original and comparing line by line, although there certainly are people who enjoy doing that, but by asking when, when you finally let the text out of your hand and it comes to rest, is it in English yet? Um, and what I mean by that is it takes so many passes to actually get a text into something that sounds like idiomatic English. And I never feel quite ready to let it go, but at a certain point, you have to, and you just hope that it is at least intelligible to the English language reader.
0: You write that language is a way of carrying a culture, and I love that idea. Can you share that, expand on that a little bit for us?
1: Sure. So, you know, I could translate all of the words, even some of the um, notoriously or supposedly difficult to translate words that survive in English. I can find English equivalents to all of them. but That doesn't tell you what it's like to be inside a culture that has a a kind of a a sensory memory of a Sabbath that gets um, inaugurated with the blessing over the wine on Friday night, or what it feels like to be part of a secular culture where class consciousness gets inculcated from such a young age in such an organic way. And those are all part of modern Jewish culture that I tried to represent in the book.
0: Uh, In that answer, you really get to the heart of this question of what is literature, which is something I think we actually talked about back when we were undergrads together, right? What is literature? So is translation literature?
1: So there was a, I talk about my three, children as the focus group for this book. And they haven't seen all of the stories yet. Um, certainly the youngest hasn't, although the older ones have heard a lot of them. And I was, when the actual physical book arrived in the mail a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a, a fable, a verse fable to my three boys. And the middle one who is about to have his bar mitzvah and turn 13, noticed that, um, Whoa, that rhymes! Like, did that rhyme in Yiddish? And you made it rhyme in English? And his older brother said, "Yeah, you—you you really did a thing. You know, you—you you really translate. You really did something." So translators think and talk a lot about how we are um, partners and co-creators of the work with the original authors. But I think that there are these kind of breakthrough moments when. Even your own kids can see that you really did a thing. You really created something new through the work of translation.
0: Um, The illustrations in this book are gorgeous. Can you tell us about them?
1: Sure. So that was actually one of the very difficult parts to kind of sell a reputable academic press on that we needed to have illustrations. And I got very lucky because I taught a group of Um, contemporary Jewish authors and illustrators at the Yiddish Book Center and one of those illustrators was interested in doing work for the volume and she did the cover which is beautiful and she has this kind of whimsical cartoonish style and she did interior illustrations in black and white and Paula Cohen worked so hard to get the historical details right and to make everything plausible and to use the illustrations as an opportunity to get more women and people of color into the volume. And so I really appreciate her efforts.
0: Miriam, congratulations. Honey on the Page is absolutely fantastic. May you sell many, many copies.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel.